Okay, I'm going to ask you to please turn with me in your Bibles. Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 64, verses 1 through 9. Isaiah 64, 1 through 9, and then we'll be going back to Romans 6 and finish up part 2 of the sermon we started last week. So we'll begin Isaiah 64, and this is the word of the Lord. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood, and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him joyfully, works, you meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins, we have a long time, and I'm sorry, in our sins, we have been a long time, and shall we be saved? We've all become like one who's unclean, and our righteous deeds are but a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There's no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to, to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us, and you have You have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are potter. We are the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are your people. Amen and praise God. Now over to Romans chapter 6. We're almost going to finish up Romans today. Uh, Lord willing, one more sermon after this, or Romans 6, I should say, which is not Romans, <laughs> just Romans 6, that's all. Uh, it is an amazing chapter. It's, you know, all, every, you hate to say, oh, this is my favorite chapter. I love this, I love that. But boy, just going through Romans 6 has just been amazing uh, for me personally, and I hope for us as well. But um, let's begin. In uh, Romans 6, beginning in verse 15, Paul says, What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. But I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, You were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from these things which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. 
But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I just read 23 anyway. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you so much. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time together in your word. And I pray, Lord God, by your spirit, you would illuminate our hearts. Give us understanding. Help us to be focused on you and on your precious word. I pray that you would be with me, Lord God, to bring forth your word clearly, powerfully, Lord, with precision, that you may be honored and glorified, that we might be edified, strengthened, challenged, encouraged in our faith to rely less and less upon self and more and more upon Christ Jesus, in whose precious name we pray, amen and amen. All right, praise God. I'm not going to do a big recap of last week, but just a little bit. Again, Romans 6 is so amazing. It's so wonderful for us because Paul's talking about the fact that we were sinners at one time and we were just trapped in that sin. That was our life. That was normal to us and for us. But now as Christians, that's gone. The bond of the bondage of sin, the reign of sin is broken and you are free. You are free this morning if you're a Christian to obey Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? And when we do sin, we have an advocate. We can pray for repentance, forgiveness, and know that we're forgiven in Jesus Christ. But that's what Paul was saying. Everything leading up to this from Romans 1, he talks about the glorious gospel. And then from 118 through 320, how sinful we are, the nature of our sin. But then from there, God's grace and justification that we're justified. Now this is how we're to live, because we're justified in Jesus Christ. Because we no longer belong to ourselves, we no longer belong to sin, we no longer belong to Satan. Amen? Praise God. Do you believe that? And that's why Paul's pressing in on chapter in this chapter, saying time and again, you are not a slave to sin. You don't have to live that way anymore. The bond of sin is broken. You can live for the glory of Christ in obedience to him. And isn't that your goal? Don't you want to obey Jesus, man? Don't you want to live for him in every single way? Don't you, don't you want to love him and, and, and serve him in that way because of what he has done for us? Paul's saying we have that ability by the Spirit to live in a way that's faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Praise God. That's what he's saying here. So last week, he talk, he's going back and forth and saying, at one time, this is where you were, this is what you did, but now, but now in Christ. So he's going past tense, before Jesus Christ, this is how you were, you were a slave to sin, this is what you did, but now, present tense, you're in Jesus Christ, you're not, no longer under that bondage. So we came down to it yet last week, and we talked about the fact that everybody serves somebody, right? Nobody's neutral, you're just not on your own, you're not just doing things to do by... Don't do things simply by yourself in and of themselves. You're always serving something or somebody. And ultimately, we saw last week, it's either God and righteousness or it's Satan and it's sin. That's it. There's no middle ground. There's, there's no third way. It's one, one of the two ways. We talked about the examples of being in bondage to sin. Remember one of those examples was just the mere fact of building bigger barns. Like, I'm just going to live my life apart from God. I'm not that bad a person. I've never really, I've never killed anybody. I've never did this. I've never done that. But I'm just living my life in the way that I see fit apart from God. You know where that end, you know where you end up with that? Apart from Christ? You end up in hell, right? Just like the man that built the bigger barns, what did the Lord say to him? And the guy was all happy. I've done this. I've done that. I'm going to take my rest. The Lord said, you fool. This very evening, your life is going to be required of you. Then what are you going to do with all your goods? 
How did they work? How did that work out in your life? So just even that fact, just apart, living apart from God in that way. But then we did talk about more specific sins, you know, slaves to money, slaves to sex, slaves to covetousness, all those things where you were just, you just took it for, that's just how you lived. That's, we thought that was normal before Jesus Christ. Now looking back and say, no, that wasn't normal. That was sin. So that was in the past. And then verse 17, of last week he said, but thanks be to God, you who were once, past tense, slaves of sin, have become, present tense, obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you were committed. So we're not just following anything like that we make up that we think seems good to us or self-help there or pretty good over there. We are following the word of God. Amen. Praise God. That's what we follow. His standard, his word, his absolute uh, word and righteousness. So that's pretty much last week. We were called Slaves of Righteousness. So continuing on today, the same thing in the same vein, Paul shows us, big deal here, that the reign of sin is broken in your life if you're a Christian. You must believe that. We're not talking about living sinless perfection, but we're talking about living in constant obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are able to do that. You don't have to go back to that sin to find pleasure, joy, fulfillment, or purpose. We have everything we need in Jesus Christ. Paul is driving that home. He continues on and shows that that reign of sin has been broken. So in the same way uh, as last week, he's going to talk about the negative and then the positive. We're going to see the progressive nature of sin and then sanctification, the fruit of sin and its consequences, and then the fruit of salvation and its righteousness. It's kind of the the points for today, if you want to put it that way. So let's look at verse 19 and talk about the progressive nature of sin. He's going back and saying, this is what it was like before Jesus Christ in your life, right? Verse 19, simple. Paul says, I'm speaking to you in human terms because of your natural limitations. He's bringing it down for us so we can understand. For just as you once, there's the past tense, presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. Let's stop right there for a minute. So he goes back and he talks about the progressive nature of sin in our lives. He says that, he says, for just as you once presented your members of slaves to impurity, to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. That's the progression of sin. That, it keeps going. It doesn't stay in one place. You can't contain it in that way. It progresses in our lives. So when we talked about total depravity, we, we have spoken to that in the past in, in our series here. And that's the idea, not the idea, it's the fact that every aspect of our being is affected by sin. Our minds, our hearts, our wills, we're, we're born with a sinful nature in that way. So in, in, we can't please God, we're unable to uh, keep his law perfectly, all those things because of sin in our life. But total depravity does not mean that you are as sinful as you possibly can be. does not mean that. However, and here's the big deal when Paul talks about that lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. However, especially when the restraints of God are taken away or an opportunity arises, you can see how sinful you may be, right? We think you need to be really careful because of that lawlessness leads to more lawlessness. When that restraint's pulled back, when the opportunity arises, you're more sinful than you th- thought you could ever be. Do you know that? Do you understand that? That's a big deal. I have, uh, you, people have t- talked to me over the years and said, I never thought that I could have done that thing over there. 
believe me, in a sinful nature, we're capable of doing the worst, most heinous things. You might be the nicest person in the world, but you're still capable, all of us are, of doing the most sinful, heinous things. I've spoken to women over the year who, who've had an abortion. And they look back and they said, I'm a, I'm a person. I never would harm anybody. I never would, I never thought that I would do that. I never thought that I could have an abortion or kill my baby in that way, right? But when the circumstances arose and the situation was there, so you'll do things that you thought you could never do. That's the progression of sin, isn't it? That's how that works in our lives. It doesn't stay in one place. I've spoken to men who've gotten so deep into pornography. They said, I never thought that I would end up in that place that I ended up in that dirty, disgusting place in my mind, in my life. I never thought I would view that I'm not that bad of a person. That's not who I am, but that's who you are apart from Christ. The heart is deceptive. I read a story just a few weeks ago about a church treasurer who embezzled money from the church, right? That person didn't start off embezzling. That person didn't go into the position saying, I'm going to rip this church off, you know? But it started slow, maybe a hundred bucks over here. You know, we need this to over the years. You probably, some of you probably read the story, or there's many stories like this, that over the years there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars that they've embezzled. They didn't think that they could do it. They're nice people. They go to church every Sunday. But you see, the heart is more deceptive than all else. Never, ever forget that. That's why Paul says it's leading to impurity, to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. There's a progression there. There's a depth there that your heart, believe me, can go to places you never thought it would go. Given the right circumstances, given the right opportunity in our sinful nature, that's where it happens. That's why Jeremiah 17 tells us this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick or desperately wicked. Who can understand it? We do things that we don't even understand at times. How could I have done that? Why did I do that? Because the heart is sinful. And you wanted to do that at that moment. You wanted that sin. You wanted to meet that desire at that particular time. Paul's saying that's what we were. That's a progressive nature of sin. Sin doesn't stay in one place. You know that. It doesn't stand still. You can't contain it. How many times have you heard people, I try to contain my sin. It just started off in this little way, and it just blows up. Listen, if you're covetous, if you're, if you're a coveting, a person who covets, it's not going to stay with just, oh, I want what that person has. I need, right? It's going to progress. There's going to be envy there. You're going to envy that person or that thing or you know that person or persons because you want what they have because you're coveting that and it's not yours, but you want it. So you're going to be jealous as well. It doesn't just stay in one place. There's jealousy there, bitterness, discontentment, all these things. It's not. It's from lawlessness. It goes there. And, and eventually, if you covet enough, if you want something bad enough, what are you going to do, obviously? You're going to steal it. You're going to take it. You're going to murder to get it, right? We have examples in scripture throughout but two prominent ones are David he coveted he wanted Bathsheba it didn't just stay there without wanting and that sinful thought of him having her he followed through with that and we know what he did um Ahab and Jezebel with Naboth in the vineyard they wanted it he coveted that and you saw what they ended up doing to get it that's the that's what Paul's saying here sin begets sin 
But, and here's the good news for us in Christ, and this is what I want you to get. Please get this. In Christ, that is broken. That is broken. Do you believe that? That you don't have to be trapped in your sins anymore. That you don't have to go back to that sin. You don't need to go there. That's broken in Jesus Christ. And we don't see it as normal like we used to. Back then, we would rationalize, minimize, justify our sin. No more. No more. He says this. He goes on to say in the second half, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. When you set your mind on Christ and you begin to live for him, that's going to show up in your life. And that's going to be the pattern of your life. Not the sinfulness, but now the sanctification. And this isn't going to be a sermon about sanctification today, at least not directly, but a little bit um, perhaps indirectly. But the fact is that it's broken. Now in Jesus Christ, you're a converted sinner. You can live for him. Notice when he says present yourself. That word present is just a real strong word. It means to enlist. It means to, it means to give yourself to. I'm giving myself to you. I'm yours. I belong to you. I'm coming alongside you. Here I am to serve you. I'm all yours, Jesus. I'm all yours, righteousness. I'm all yours. Do with me what you will. I'm an instrument in your hand. You know that? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm at your service, and I'm in your service. To present yourself to somebody means that you're going to be loyal to them. I'm giving myself to you. I'm yours. What do you need me to do? Don't you love that? Even sometimes in the movies, that person who's a reluctant hero doesn't want to get involved, but then all of a sudden he comes in or she comes in and says, I'm yours. What do you want me to do? I'm for you now. I'm presenting myself to you. That's what this means. That's what he's saying here. But now you present yourself to righteousness. And that means you do what's right as Christians. We do what's right, not just based on what we think or what the world is saying. We do what's right, just like last week we talked about, by obeying his word. I'm at your service. We do what's right based on his word, based on doing his will, based on depending on his strength by his spirit. You understand that? You're not in this alone. You're not going to fight this battle alone. If you try to resist sin, temptation on your own, in your own strength, guess what? You're going to fall in one second. This is why we go to his word. That's the standard. That's why we present ourselves to him in righteousness, to do what's right based on his word, his will, depending on his strength and not our own. So we don't go into places in areas of temptation on our own. We're praying to the Lord. We're seeking him. We're seeking to obey his word. Philippians 2, 12 tells us this. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed me, so always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. And then he says this, work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. For it's God who's at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And that's a beautiful picture of our sanctification. Again, this isn't going to be a full sermon on sanctification. We'll do one of those later. But here's the idea. Once we're saved in Jesus Christ, we're working on our salvation. What's that mean? We're seeking to live obediently to the Lord. Don't you want to obey him? Don't you want to love him? Don't you want to do those things that please him? Stop sinning in the way that you sin. To be the man that you're called to be. To be the wife he wants he commands you to be in that way. To be, that, to be the, that servant of Christ Jesus, faithful in every single way. That's what we're working out. We're working out our salvation by seeking to live obediently to him. That's what we do. 
I'm not going to do what I used to do before. I'm not that person anymore. I'm not trapped in that way. I'm free from that because of Christ. But then understanding at the same time that he's working his will inside you, that you can't do any of this apart from him. I know that I could do none of this apart from Christ Jesus and his strength. So it's him who's working in us to do his will, and we're conforming to that will as we obey him. Amen? Does that make sense? That's a big deal for you as Christians because we're in a fight. We're in a battle. You're in a battle with sin every single day now that you're in Christ. He said before you lived freely in that way. You just kind of lived your life and went along. But now as a Christian, you see sin for what it is. And you know what it is. And you know you can't go there anymore even though you're tempted to go there, even though you want to go there, and even sometimes you do go there. But you know that's not who you are anymore in Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is telling us here. That's what we see here. Our Shorter Catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number 35, asks, what is sanctification? For not being a sermon on sanctification, I'm talking about sanctification pretty much here. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God. See, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. We're renewed. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You're not who you used to be. You are not. You're a new creation in Christ, new priorities, new standard, new worldview. I'm living for him, no longer for myself. We're renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die to sin and to live unto righteousness. Notice, unlike justification, this, which is an act of God's free grace, boom, when we're justified, we're justified. This is a work. This is, this is a process. It's not all at once, right? It's ongoing, and it will go on until he calls us home or he returns. But that's, that's what we're doing, man. That's the fight that we're in. That's the battle that we're in as believers. But listen, I want to just try to get very practical with sanctification a little bit here, what it looks like as a believer. In other words, what motivates us to do the things that we do, to think the way that we do? And obviously, it's going to be the Word and by the Spirit. But as, as a believer... For instance, it's not doing the right thing. People talk about doing the right thing, okay? And there's certain right things to do. Intuitively, you might know what they are. You know, if a house is burning, you're going to try to get that person out, whatever that might be. Doing the right thing, not cheating, not, there's, generally speaking. But as a believer, it's not doing the right thing so that you might feel good about yourself. See, we're getting motivate motives here. As Christians, as believers, we do it to the glory of God, but it's not doing the right thing so that you might feel good about yourself. So some people will give like a large donation. Why? Because they can feel good about themselves. You know, I, it just makes me feel good to do good, you know, to do the right thing. Uh, there was a flood over there. We, we gave over there, and it feels good. My self-esteem meter just rose 10 points, right? I'm good on that. That's not why we do that as Christians. It's all about the motivation. It's all about the heart, right? Especially if you're thinking about salvation. These kinds of things are just empty rags because we can never do enough to earn God's salvation. But as Christians, we have different motivations. But people will do it, do the right thing to kind of feel good about themselves. Ask people about that. Why would you do that? It just makes me feel good. I feel, yeah. hoorah. <laughs> Another reason people do the right thing at time to time it's to score brownie points. Nobody's really going to admit this to you, but they do it to score points with others. It's kind of a false humility. I'm not calling these people total phonies. There might be nice people in that way. But oftentimes, it's a false humility because you want to come off as thoughtful, as 
selfless, as caring, as a sensitive person? Who doesn't? You know, you want people to say nice things about you because you're such a nice person. But inside, here's the deal, inside, when it's like that, from that motivation, you take a lot of pride, actually, in your humility, right? I'm a humble person. I'm a helpful person. I'm a nice person. See, there's a lot of pride in that humility there that you want people to see in that way. And I'm not saying you're necessarily doing it just so people will see it, but you like when people see it, and they, and they see what you do, and they kind of take note of that and say, oh, you're a good person. Wow, do you see what she did? Do you see what he did for that person, right? So, so we do that with kind of a, kind of a false humility because it means a lot to us what other people think about us in that way. I'm not saying you're total phony in that way, but pretty much it's a wrong motivation as as such. But as Christians, we don't do that. And we don't even do the right thing because it's simply the right thing to do in a pragmatic way. People say, there's certain things you just do because it's, why'd you do that? Oh, it's just the right thing to do. Right? Very pragmatic. And they might be right. It's the right thing to do, but they don't have an underlying reason why. See, this is all tying into what we're talking about here. And presenting ourselves to the Lord as righteousness, right? Because doing the right thing, doing it, and what makes it right is because it's right according to God's standard. So as a Christian, now it's right according to his standard, according to his word, according to his nature, and according to his character. So whatever we do as Christians now, as Christians, we do it to the glory of God. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter who sees us. And our only motivation should be pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's kind of how we are sanctified when we're doing those things, whether it's obeying in righteousness, whether it's what we do at work and how we do our job, right? So 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us this. So whether you eat or drink, so even when we eat or drink, we give thanks to the Lord. We, just, we don't just sit down. If you're a Christian, you don't just sit down and start chowing out, just eating. Ah, what do you do first before you eat? You give thanks and glory to God because you know apart from him, you wouldn't have anything. He gives us everything. So we're thankful to him even for the food. So whether we eat or drink, and there's more to that in, in terms of doing to the glory of God, how we do it, but very, at the very least giving thanks to him. Whether you eat or drink and whatever you do, what's that mean? Whatever you do, everything else you do, whatever you do, you do all to the glory of God. There's nothing in it for you. There should be nothing in it for you. Remember Matthew, uh, uh, Luke 18 with the servants? After they did everything that they were supposed to do in the field, they came in. And what did the master say to them? Sit down and eat. No, no, no. He said, you serve me as well, and then you can sit down and eat. And then what were the, what were the slaves supposed to say? All we're doing is our duty. That's all we're doing. We're just doing our duty. So we're doing everything to the glory of God. And that means we're going to do it honestly. That means we're going to do it as he would have us do it according to his word. And there's always a motive for everything that you do as a Christian. It doesn't matter what action you take. Underneath that, there needs to be the underlying motive of finding glory to God. Do you understand? Listen, I'll give you an illustration. Um, Why would you help the elderly, elderly woman cross a busy intersection? Why would you do that? That's the right thing to do. <laughs> Makes me feel good about myself, right? Listen, as a Christian, it's not so you can feel good about yourself. So there's an elderly woman at the intersection, busy intersection. You know, she's going to get nailed as she goes across there. And here you come along and say, let me help you, ma'am. I'll help you get across the street, okay? Why do you do that? Do you do it just to feel good about yourself? Right? I did a good deed. I'm a good person. I helped the elderly woman across the street. Some people do that. 
We don't do it for that. And it's not merely pragmatic, right? It is the right thing to do, right? You want to help the elderly woman across the street because she can get killed, you know, get run over, whatever, and I can help her navigate that, get her, get her across the street safely. It's pragmatic. It's the right thing to do. That's not why you do it if you're a Christian. You understand? You understand? This, this, is, what he said. this is a righteousness leading to sanctification. Why do you do it as a Christian? Why do you help that elderly woman? And this goes for any decision you make throughout your day. If you really deconstruct, and I'm using that guardedly, why do you do the things that you do? That woman that's just crossing the street, you're doing that. You're helping her because she bears the image of God. Do you understand? And, and because she bears the image of God, that means all the value and dignity that that affords as an image bearer of God we show to her as we help her across the street. It's because the fifth commandment tells us to honor our father and our mother. And when you're helping that elderly woman across the street, you are living out the spirit of the fifth commandment that you are honoring your father and your mother. Do you see how that works as Christians? We have a reason why we do it. Not just because it's the right thing to do, not just because it makes me feel good, because it glorifies God and we're called to live in this way as Christians. It's part of our sanctification. Because we are to look and view as older women as mothers. And this is tie into the fifth commandment. So First Timothy 5.12 tells us this, don't rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers. You see that? There's that respect, younger women as sisters in all purity. That's why we do it. There's proper order, structure, respect, and honor because of that. Do you understand? That's the inner workings of saying we're doing it to the glory of God. We are to help the weak, to protect life, to the glory of God. We're presenting ourselves as instruments of righteousness as unto our sanctification. So in anything that you can think of, anything you want to take down, this is why we do it, because of Jesus Christ, because of the glory of God, to the glory of God. Amen? And praise God. That's what Paul's saying. As we present ourselves to righteousness, we reflect the character and nature of God and the change that he's made in you. Praise God. And that's it. Again, some people will say, um, will help the woman cross the street and say, well, now that's going to score points with God for me. That's not going to score points with God for you. But because we're in Christ is what we already have the points. <laughs> and we're honoring and glorifying. Because we have those points, as it were, we honor and glorify him in these ways. Is this making sense to you? And you could do this with any decision you make in life, and you think about it, why you do what you do, and the way you do it, and does it bring honor and glory to the Lord? That's kind of the inner workings of our sanctification, putting off the old man, putting on the new man. Why do we do that? Right? That's what he's saying here when he says, present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Are you doing that as Christians? Are you to live your life? We never do the right thing just because it's the right thing to do. Never, never think that. We never do that a good thing or the right thing because it's going to score points for us. We never do the right thing so people are going to see us. We do it to the glory of God, and that makes all the difference in the eyes of the Lord. And it shows who we are in Christ. Because even if that woman doesn't say thank you, because sometimes when people do things for other people, for other kind of motives, and you don't get a thank you, well, that's the last time I'm going to help somebody across the street, or I'm not going to do that. They didn't even say thanks to me. Who cares if you're a Christian? So what? 
We don't do it for that. We don't do it for thanks. We don't do it for any reward. It's just who we are. It's who we're called to be because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. Amen? Praise God. We never expect, like the slaves, we're just doing our duty. So we don't look for that. Now, it's nice if people come back and say, thank you. Okay, no problem there. But we don't hold a grudge against them. I'm never going to help them again because they didn't, blah, blah, blah. That's not who you are in Christ. You're not presenting yourself as a member of righteousness for that. Okay, so that's one. Number two, he talks about the fruit of sin and the fruit of salvation. The fruit of sin and fruit of salvation. Verse 20, he says this. For when you were slaves of sin, there he goes, the past tense, now you're free. He said, you, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Again, that, it didn't mean anything to you. You're just going to do what you wanted to do. You would rationalize, justify, minimize your own sin because it's what you wanted to do. But... What fruit were you getting from that at the things of which you are now ashamed? And I want to stop right there for a minute. That's the fruit of sin. Because the fruit of sin, and not just the sins in of themselves, it is that, but it's also, you know, the sins that you were captured to, but also the effects and the consequences, the mess that you've made because of your sins, right? He says that there. What fruit were you getting from the things that you are now ashamed? What fruit? What are the fruit, the results, the effects, the consequences of your sin? Think about your life, how cool you thought you were, but how many lives you destroyed or damaged because you got what you wanted to get. Because you wanted, to, you wanted your sin instead of obedience. What did that leave you with? Right? Where is it at now? Broken families, ruined marriages, destroyed reputations because of our sin. Okay, you got what you want. That's what he's saying here. Think about that. When you were living in that way, you satisfied yourself for that moment because you got what you wanted, but it was sinful. And what about the results of that sin? You left other people humiliated while you lorded it over them. Remember how you were when you were the cool or the tough guy or the, that woman who with the sharp tongue and able to really nail that person? You felt good, huh? You know, well, what, that, what fruit is there? It makes a mess. Emotional scars, physical injuries. Because you had to go and get wasted because you're going to get wasted and I don't care and I'm going to go driving anyway and I'm going to do that and then you get in an accident and you kill somebody, you hurt somebody. There's consequences. There's fruit of sin. You make a mess. Financial hardships because of that. That's what he's talking about here. The sins themselves and the fruit. There's consequences. He said that. But what fruit were you getting from that time? Were they good things? Were they wonderful things? Did they help you out in the end? No, they leave destruction, they leave damage, they leave heartache, they leave pain. That's what sin does. In the end. Maybe not in the moment, but eventually that's what it does. Just a trail, trail of destruction. And that's why Christ came. And then he goes on to say this. Of the things that you were once ashamed, that, I'm sorry, of the things of which you are now ashamed. That's really powerful, isn't it? I think as Christians, um, when you were, when you were, before you were a Christian and you just lived in your sin, you didn't really feel much shame or remorse necessarily, unless it was trying to get you out of trouble or whatever. But you really didn't feel that shame too much because you just thought it was normal and that's what you were doing. But now as a Christian, with the eyes that you have now, with eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to know, it's a different story, isn't it? So you can look back and say, man, that, what, that, that was shameful. Now, listen to this. I want you to hear this. If you're in Jesus Christ this morning and you look back on your sins, there's no guilt. You're not guilty. Christ covered that. There's, there, there's no penalty for that sin. 
And even that shame is covered, right? So don't, this isn't a guilt trip to say, ah, see, remember what you did? No, Christ will never do that. He'll never, ever do that. Even if you sinned yesterday and really repented of it, truly repented, he's not going to, that guilt is covered. The shame is covered, okay? It truly is. But having said that, all of us can look back, maybe even to yesterday, but even back farther in our lives before we were Christians, especially, and you could feel that shame a bit, right? The things that you were ashamed that you did, embarrassed about, that you regret at some of our sinful actions, right? Look back on your life. There's, there's things we're forgiven in Jesus Christ, praise God. We don't wallow in the sin. But I know if I could go back, there would be many people that I would apologize to for the way that I treated them and the things that I did. There's some shame there. And it's just some, you know, because Paul said, you look back on those things, and at the time it didn't seem bad. At the time I was just doing what I wanted to do, getting what I wanted to get. But now I see how bad that was, and I am ashamed of that. But praise God, my shame is covered by Jesus Christ. Praise God. The guilt is gone. Don't have to live there. But don't chalk it up to being young and stupid and immature. That's what people like to do. No. You're sinful, selfish, and intentional all the way. Sin has consequences. Those things that you were ashamed. Hey, man, maybe you were the one who didn't walk that lady. I was going to say old lady, that mature woman, (laughs) the elderly woman across the street. You didn't do that. Maybe you were the one that knocked her down, because you could see that on, on TV even these days. Knock that woman down and take her purse and run away. Maybe that was you before Jesus Christ. And you could look back on that. I'm forgiven, but I still feel shame, right? But there's forgiveness in Christ. Forgiven, but you could still look back and say, those things of what I was ashamed of. But in Christ Jesus, I'm forgiven. So now I want to live for him. That's motivation to live obediently, to him. So verse 22, we're coming to the end. Verse 22 says, but, and here's the contrast, here's the, here's the present tense, but now, right now, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. And that's beautiful. So much there. Um, but now, again, present tense, this is the good news. We're set free from that reign of sin, from that power of sin, that fruit now in Christ Jesus that leads to sanctification, that leads to eternal life. Now listen and listen really good here. It's not, he's not saying we're not working our way to eternal life by trying to be good. But because we have eternal life, that shows up in our lives, right? That's what happens. That's the idea. Not working our way to eternal life showing that we already possess it. That's the thing. That's why Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, I don't have 8 and 9, but, you know, we've been saved by grace through faith in Christ, um, and that's a free gift, not of ourselves, lest any man should boast. Then he goes on in 10. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. He says, for we are his workmanship. You are his workmanship. Do you know that? You are created in Christ Jesus. That is our new creation in Jesus Christ. For what? For good works. That's what we're created for, which God prepared beforehand. He already set those out before us that we should walk in them. This is the way we're supposed to live. We're not bound by sin anymore. We can truly live for him in a way that's pleasing to him in a way that's obedient to him. So we're not working our way. This is characteristic of those who have eternal life, that we live for him. Eternal life belongs to us And we live our lives in light of that fact. That's the idea. Because we're in Jesus Christ, I'm not that person anymore. I'm a new creation in Christ, and that's going to show up in my life. 
Now, this section in Romans, this little section I just read, has real deep correlation to Galatians uh, chapter 5, to the fruit of the Spirit, to the fruit of the flesh. So I'm going to ask you to turn very uh, quickly with me to Galatians. We're going to end here in um, Galatians chapter 5. I know you could see the, the connective tissue between uh, what Paul's talking about here is he's talking about the fruit and he's talking about sanctification. And this is almost an expansion of that or a completion of that in Ephesians, I'm sorry, in Galatians uh, chapter 5. Yeah, let me see. Galatians 5. And I'm going to go all the way back to verse 16 and read through 26. So let's uh, hear, hear God's word. Paul says, now to Christians, he says, but I say walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, the desires of the spirit against the flesh. And there's that, that battle. We'll see more about that in Romans 7. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. And we're going to talk more about that next week. Now the works of the flesh are evident. And this is, so just think about, Paul said, before Christ, this is what you were like. This is what you lived in. This is what you did. This would seem normal to you. It was a cool thing to do. It was all right, whatever. What was that? Sexual immorality. Well, I'm going to have sex outside of marriage. Whatever. That's fine. I'm just going to do that. Um, it goes on to say, um, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. No, I, I have my little idols. Who needs God? I have my work. I have this person. I have this life here. I have sports. I have whatever in place of God. That's what makes me happy. Right? That's how you live before Christ. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, I'm freaking out all the time, rivalries, uh, jealousy, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. This is just a partial list, but you get the idea. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So remember in Romans, Paul says, this is what you gave yourself over to when you were slaves of sin, man. This is what you did. These are the kinds of things that you did. This is how you live. What fruit were they bringing in your life? Nothing but death and destruction. That's it. You want to live there? Go ahead. But then there's going to be the consequences. Right? But, and here's the other side of that, but now in Christ Jesus. You can see the connective tissue to Romans. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. We talked about that a few weeks ago in Romans. Um, with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And again, this could be an entire sermon, but this is just... Uh, part of this message today, so we're not going to do that. But what you need to know about this fruit shows up in your life, right? If you belong to Christ. He made a change in you, and so that change is going to come through. So in Galatians 5.22, when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, do you notice something about that? When he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, the fruit is singular. See, a lot of us tend to think about the fruit being, you know, He's not saying the fruits of the Spirit are. He's saying the fruit of the Spirit is. So, so the idea is that it's, it's, the, it's, it's like a cluster. It's not different fruits. It's not, oh, I have love and I have joy over here, but I'm not so great with peace or patience. It's not like that. It's like, it's like the, the grapes. Can you see those grapes? 
You don't have to turn the lights out. It's just a bunch of grapes. <laughs> that's, that's like the fruit of the Spirit. It's just there. It's one. As opposed to um, all the different fruits. That's a really pretty picture, by the way, but that's not the fruit of the Spirit. That's not the idea. And, and I say this and I labor this because the idea with that is that, that we, he produces the fruit in us by his Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. We have that if you're in Jesus Christ, right? We, we have the fruit of the Spirit in us. We're to cultivate that. We're to show forth that. And there are just three things very quickly. Again, and just keeping the tie in with the Romans, but coming over here, we're talking, what fruit are we getting? Well, if you're a Christian, this is the fruit that's going to come out of your life. It is. You've defeated sin. It's not over you anymore. And, and here's what it looks like. He's made this change in you. And about this fruit, number one, it's abiding fruit. It abides in you. It doesn't come and go. You don't get it from, like, you don't have it for a little bit, and then it's gone. So, for instance, when we talk about Christians having peace, you talk to people about peace. Do you have any peace that, who aren't Christians? What are they going to say? Well, I feel peace when everything is wonderful in my life, <laughs> when I have, you know, I have enough money in the bank, and my job is good, and my marriage or my relationship is wonderful, and everybody's healthy. And When does that happen in life, huh? Who has peace, really? Maybe for one minute, one second in your life, if you're not a Christian, you could have that peace. It's not like that when you're a Christian. That fruit of the Spirit is peace. It's abiding in you. It's not just when things go our way. It's not just momentary. It's not dependent on our circumstances. You understand? That's peace that he gives us. It's from our relationship to Christ. If we belong to Christ, we experience peace, don't we? And it doesn't matter what our circumstances are in. Amen. When the good things are good, we have that peace of the Lord. But even when we go through hard seasons, deep down, we have that consolation. We're never without hope. We have a peace that passes all understanding, right? Amen. And praise God. Because we know in his providence, he's working all things out together for good to good for those who love him. Even though it doesn't seem that way at the moment, even if I'm struggling, I know in my heart of hearts, I still have that abiding peace because he is my God and he is sovereign and he has a plan and it's working out in my life. It's not just when everything's going my way that I have peace. We have peace all the time. It's abiding fruit. It doesn't go away. That's part of that change that he makes. Secondly, it's, it's a package deal, man. It's a package deal. They go together. They go together like the grapes. It's not like apples and oranges. It's like the grapes. Now, you might be farther along in some areas than others. Like sometimes you get a batch of grapes, a cluster of grapes, whatever. Some are bigger, some are smaller, but there's still grapes in that way. It's all part of the same fruit in that regard. But listen, they go together. In other words, listen, you can't be kind, like you know, kindness is one of the fruit of the Spirit. You can't be kind without being loving, really, right? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a kind person, but I'm not a very loving person. Ah, it doesn't work that way. The fruit of the Spirit is a fruit of the Spirit. It goes together. He gave these to us. We're to cultivate these. We're no longer understand. This is the fruit that we're to bring forth in righteousness, and that shows up in our lives in that way. You, you can't be gentle without being patient. Well, I'm a, I'm a pretty gentle person, but not very patient. What? That doesn't work. It doesn't go. They all go together. We need to be, so don't give yourself that excuse. Well, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a, I, I, I'm a, I'm a loving person, but, but I have a real bad temper. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You know, I'm faithful, but I have no self-control. That doesn't work. That doesn't go. If you're a Christian, you do. And this is what we need to cultivate. This is what Paul's getting at. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're a slave to righteousness. Number three, very quickly, it shows up in your life. The fruit shows up in your life if you're a Christian. Not always at the same time, not in the same intensity, 
But man, if you're a Christian, you're not the same person that you were before. How many times have you seen people say, you used to be the most hateful person that I know, and now you're just filled with love? Right? That's the, that's the fruit of the Spirit. How many people have gone from doing whatever I felt like doing, I'm just going to live my life, to now having self-control? I'm not going to be that person. I'm not going to let go to that place in that way. How many sinful, scary people with their temper, that temper that you had, oh, just so temper, now has patience. When people see that, they marvel. They say, you used to be, they think you're teasing. Our unbelieving friends, family members, they think it's a, like, oh, you're just putting on an act. Oh, you're just, you got religion. Or, you know, you're, you're just polishing up your act. You're, you're going to go back to what you were. And if you're not truly converted, you will, by the way. But if you're truly converted, you won't. And that change is there. That change, and they're going to see that to one degree or another, not always consistent. I mean, consistently, um, for the most part, in that way. Your sinful, fearful worry, now you have peace. Am I still worried at times? Yes, but I know that God is in control, and I have that peace that passes understanding. And people used to say, you're a mess. You worry so much, that's all you do. But now you have a sense of peace about you. That's the Lord. That's what we cultivate. That's what we bring through. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer in that bondage. This is the fruit of that righteousness. This ties in with what Paul's saying in Romans. It leads to sanctification, and it shows that you have eternal life. It doesn't get you eternal life, but it shows that you have eternal life, that you've been bought with a price by Jesus Christ, that you're a new creation in Christ Jesus, that you no longer, you say no to sin, and yes, to righteousness. Sin no longer reigns in your life, so don't let it.